Matthew 5, starting at verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You remember that old TV show called To Tell the Truth? I know some of you are too young, and I apologize ahead of time if you're too young to remember this, but, but when I remember that TV show, I think about that basic premise of the show, which was that there were three guests. One was the genuine article was a real person of note or notoriety. They, they had invented something. They had done something famous. They, they had done something, like I said, worthy of note. They were an expert on something. And then there were two imposters. And the three would sit there before a panel of celebrity judges, and each would be trying to convince the celebrity judges that they were the actual real expert or the real Notor, uh, not, notor, I don't know what you call that. <laughs> that person of note. <laughs> so, once that happens, the questions are asked by the celebrities, and then the celebrities have to vote on which one they think is the real guy or gal, and what happened is, is that if the person who wasn't really the, the particular celebrities, uh, there I go again, trying to get stuck on that word. Whoever the person was that was the real expert might be revealed or it might be the phony, you know? And the whole gist of the show was, is if you could convince people you were an expert at something that you weren't really an expert at, you got a prize. I already wasted too much time trying to explain that, but, <laughs> but the point is, is that, that the show popped into my mind as I read this passage from, from Jesus because I thought, you know, there's what he's saying is, is, you know, well, to put it a better way, Dizzy Dean said this. This is another old reference. Sorry, folks. Old baseball player from the 40s. He, Dizzy Dean said, it ain't bragging if you can do it. And so what Jesus is saying, in a sense, is, is it just, just shut up. If you mean it, do it. You know, it, don't, don't make big, you know, profusely you know, wordy statements about what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. And, you know, don't, don't make big, big show of what you're going to do. You know, just do it. And this was because in, in those days, as you've heard throughout the weeks, uh, the religious elite had kind of gotten in the habit of taking every law that Jesus was now strengthening with just really basic common sense from the author of the law. 
They were taking all of this and twisting it into something that served them more than it served God. And so they wanted to be big shots in their community. And the best way to be a big shot in your community is to stand up and make big statements about how all these good things you're going to do. You know, when somebody, for example, stands up and says, I'm going to donate $100,000 to this cause because I think it's really great. And another person just does it. You know, uh, to put it another way, a politician might get up and make a lot of big statements about all the things they're going to do when you elect them to office. And we all know that they probably won't do most of it, either because they didn't mean it or they just can't. And so we all kind of wish that the political people in our world would just shut up and do something, right? And let their yes mean yes and their no mean no. So what Jesus is saying is, is, this is church, it's not politics. This is your relationship with God, it's not political. This is about you and God. And what God wants to know is, is are you serious about your relationship with God or not? What God wants to know is, is are you dedicated to obedience and, and submission to God's authority in your life? And if you are, just do it. And don't make a big show of it. This is why Jesus says in another case, you know, look at how the religious go around making all kinds of noise about their donation or their prayer. And the other just quietly drops her widow's mite into... Have you ever seen a widow's mite? I have one. Um, I got it in Israel, and, and it's, it's like they're very common. That's part of the reason they're so easy to obtain, and they're also mentioned in Scripture, because they're smaller than the button on your blouse. They're about the size of the button on a gentleman's collar, you know. Um, they're just this tiny little piece of lead that won't buy much. But Jesus said that the widow who put two of those in the offering plate had given more in her quiet submission than the rich fellow who came in dressed for church and making a big show of the donation, the size of the check, whatever. In the same way, he says, you know, don't make your prayers a big public show. He says, go quietly to your little place of prayer, your prayer closet, and just talk to God. So Jesus is all about making what you say stick by just doing it rather than making a lot of noise about something you're not really going to do. Um, in my world, as I've grown up, church was a place, I, I literally, some of you guys are in business and, and sales and stuff like I used to be. And, and, you know, I don't know if you know this, but they used to teach us in seminars for sales that we needed to be a part of a church because it's a great place to network. I mean, they taught us that in the seminars. They'd say, well, you've got to build business relationships, so you need to be a part of things like uh, uh, the Lions Club and stuff. And, you know, get in a church. You'll meet people, and you can develop clients there, <laughs> you know. And that's not a bad thing, because I actually want to urge you to do business with your Christian brothers and sisters. I really do. But if church is about that, you may be missing the point. That's, that's what Jesus is trying to say, is, is, is don't, don't make such a big show of your commitment. Just do it. Just do it. And so what he wants for us and his disciples 
throughout the ages is that we would be people of our word, that would be people who just say the truth in love, who say uh, the way things are, the way it has to be, the way, the way, that the, you know, the, the way of truth. It's, it's not meant to hurt nor help in particular as much as it is to just be plain in our speech. One of the things I admire about uh, uh, the, the Friends or uh, the Quakers is that they are intentionally people of simple speech. I'd never cut it as a Quaker because I have this love affair with words and I like seeing how many syllables I can find in a word and, you know, it's all fun and games for me, but when it's all said and done, when we're talking about our relationship with God, when we're talking about our relationship with each other as it's expressed through the Holy Spirit flowing through our veins and everything, why it's better to just be simple, uncomplicated and truthful and to simply do what you say you're going to do, to let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. And, and uh, in this way, you're doing what Jesus says is the most important. Do you remember that place where somebody said to him, they were trying to trap him, you know? The religious elite had taken 10 commandments and over centuries turned them into 614 laws. And so they went to Jesus thinking that they were gonna nail him on this one because they knew there were 614 laws and then there's a whole lot of interpretations that go along with each of those. And, and they said to Jesus, so which is the most important? Remember what he said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as self. And if you can see me, I'm making an L because it's just sort of funny how he's telling you to make a vertical relationship and a horizontal relationship. And it looks just like the letter L in English, which is the letter for love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love the Lord by loving your neighbor as yourself. You realize the Ten Commandments are actually five commandments. There's just one about God and one about neighbor. Take a look at your Bible sometime and look at the Ten Commandments and ask yourself if that isn't true. There's a relationship with God commandment and then right across from it, there's a reason they're on two tablets. It's not because it was easier for Moses to carry them that way. It's because one tablet has relationship with God and then the other tablet has the correlating relationship with each other. And they actually go together. See what I'm talking about when you look that up. Why does Jesus say that? Why does he say it's really very simple? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And then love your neighbor as yourself. He, he nailed it. And, and the reason that they knew he nailed it was not just because it was just instinctive that he was right. But because he was saying, in effect... This thing that you Jews say every time you touch that little, uh, uh, I just went blank, the little thingy on the door. Yeah. When, when you touch that and you say those words, you're saying, I love you, God, and I love my neighbor. It, th that's the gist of it, right? And they couldn't argue with him because they knew he was right. But that's how it is when you're talking to the person who wrote the rules. You can't really talk them into thinking that what they transferred from their heart and mind into a statement is somehow not what they thought. Have you ever had, and I'm about ready to change gears on you here, but have you ever had this experience, parents, 
where your kid tries to convince you that you didn't see what you saw, when your kid tries to convince you you didn't hear what you heard, teachers, grandparents, am I right? You watched them do the deed. You looked at it with both eyes wide open. There was no mistaking that they did it. And then they look right at you and they go, you didn't see that. You know I'm right. Because some of you are laughing because you're thinking, it. yeah, it just happened this morning on the way to church, right? You looked in the mirror and saw one of them pick at the other one. And then they looked at you and saw you looking at them and then told you you didn't see what you saw. Well, this is what it's like when we adults, as sophisticated, educated, mature people, look at our Lord and say, what you wrote in your book isn't true. You didn't mean it the way you meant it. You didn't say what you said. Well, yes, he did. And that leads me to something that I have looked forward to sharing with you and dreaded sharing with you. And I'm not going to lie, I haven't been this anxious about something that I've shared at the pulpit in a long time because I have an anxiety about being pigeonholed. I was sharing that with some people before church. I, I've always tried to remain flexible and open and not in a way that would betray my core values, but so that I don't cut people off who might be seeking the Lord through me or with me, you know, and, and I don't want to say or do something that makes me no longer accessible for God's purposes. And, and yet sometimes you just got to take a stand on a thing. And I have heard since I've been here about all sorts of things that you love and want to see remain the same in the life of this church. And I've also heard about some things that you're glad have changed. And I've heard about some things that worry you. And I've really come to know that there's only one thing that keeps coming up that people really hope Pastor Dan's going to say something about it. And today's the day. I know a lot of you want to know what's going on with the United Methodist Church and what are we supposed to think about this? And more than that, they say, Pastor Dan, what do you think about this? I'm getting ready to tell you. Now, there's something I say to the staff and lay leaders a lot. I've been saying this for years. Because I'm an idea guy, I make people uncomfortable sometimes. I'm an idea guy, so I'm always thinking outside the box. I live outside the box. And that's okay, because I need people who are inside the box to keep me tethered, you know. But I like thinking big ideas and going way out there. And, and so when I start speculating about the future, I don't really mean that it's going to be the way I think. I just like contemplating the possibilities. And so I've made a, a habit of saying to people, don't worry, it ain't real unless it's in writing. And that's because I'm an old salesman and I've, I will tell you all kinds of things and I'll give you opinions about all kinds of things, but if you don't see it in writing, don't worry. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Well, this is, this is real and I've written it. And it has to do with what's going on in the United Methodist Church and how I feel about it. And so I'm going to do something I really despise. I'm going to read to you from the pulpit. But this is because I put a great deal of thought into the words, and I want to make sure that I say what I wrote because it's what I mean. And then we'll discuss it a little bit, and then the conversation can go on from now till doomsday, if you like. But here's what's going on in the church as I see it. I wrote this, since I began serving as your pastor in July, I've become increasingly aware of an undercurrent of distrust for and disgust with the United Methodist Church's leadership. 
because of a perceived absence of integrity with regard to the appointment of an openly gay bishop in the Western jurisdiction. I've heard that there is fear of the United Methodist Church turning toward open acceptance of homosexuality, same-sex marriage, and transgenderism. I've heard that there is concern about your new pastor's personal position regarding these matters. I'm going to answer those concerns in the paragraphs ahead, but for now I would like to review some basic information about our United Methodist Church. It is prudent to be aware that in the 40 plus years of debate over these issues, the United Methodist Church has never been effectively persuaded to endorse homosexuality. It is equally prudent to remember that the forthcoming special general conference meant to seek a way forward will not likely conclude that the church should change its position. Rather, it will almost certainly recommend a way of unity or a way of parting in my opinion. Given that both general ideologies are unwilling to change, there is little or no hope of a shared way forward. Therefore, we at Shiloh United Methodist Church can only wait and see what comes. If there's a day when we need to stand firmly with one ideology or the other, I'm sure we will do so. In the meantime, we are compelled to preach the gospel and to live according to Christ's way. Regarding the appointment of an openly gay bishop in the Western jurisdiction, we must see that it was an intentional violation of discipline, that's the church law, meant to serve as a protest. And as with most forms of civil disobedience, these actions were declared unlawful. Nevertheless, the declaration did not result in immediate punishment or removal from office. And this is deeply frustrating to many clergy including me, and to many United Methodist worshipers. It's difficult to know what will come next, but the flaws in our judicial process are clearly evident. Now, my personal position regarding all of these matters is uncomplicated. I support the United Methodist Book of Discipline in its present form, which essentially states that all persons are of sacred worth and welcome in worship and other activities. All persons are to be loved and valued as human beings. However, United Methodist clergy are not permitted to endorse same-sex marriage or homosexuality as a lifestyle. Since I believe the Bible plainly states God's opposition to such behaviors, I am comfortable with the Book of Discipline as it is written today. And I have some scripture references that will help with that. I will not agree to perform same-sex marriages at Shiloh United Methodist Church. I will uphold the invitation to the Lord's table as expressed in our hymnal and book of worship. Christ our Lord invites all to his table who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin, and seek to live in peace with one another. So when you're discussing these matters with family, friends, and others who are not members of the United Methodist Church, try to focus on the facts. Share the many good things about the Wesleyan tradition and the enormous positive impact the United Methodist Church has made in the world. Point to the ministry of the United Methodist Committee on Relief, UMCOR, for example. While we are dismayed with our leaders, we continue to pray for them and urge them toward biblical holiness. I hope this brief statement will help to relieve any consternation you may have experienced. Nevertheless, I'm always ready and willing to chat with you further as needed. So that's what I wrote. 
And this, by the way, it will be in the little box out there with the sermon notes, and I will email it to all of you today. So you don't have to pick up a paper copy if you're already receiving email from me. Now, I've done this because, like I said, I've heard some people in the church wondering just exactly what's going on and where this church should be on that topic and what's Pastor Dan think. So I've tried to give you my point of view, but here's what I'd like for you to remember at the end. Everybody is of sacred worth to God. And while God clearly states that certain behaviors and lifestyles are incompatible with God's plan for creation, they are not exclusively those habits that we find particularly repulsive as people of a certain political disposition or scriptural disposition. The truth is, is if we find ourselves maybe feeling like we've just won some sort of victory because Pastor Dan just stood for what we agree with, or we feel discouraged because Pastor Dan just said something I didn't want to hear him say, then we're missing the point. This isn't a win or a loss for anybody. It's a statement of my personal position and the United Methodist Church's position, but it makes it very clear that this one particular thing that is a really hot issue in the United Methodist Church and in our country has some clear expectations for United Methodists. But the understanding is, is that for all of us, we are expected to live in a way that honors and glorifies God. And so if you happen to be particularly repulsed by someone else's sin, I would recommend you take a good hard look at yourself, just as I would do. And so don't think that just because the United Methodist Church and this pastor and this church are not going to openly promote or endorse homosexuality, that that's some sort of victory. Because the truth is, is every person who comes through these doors is worthy of the grace of God and worthy of salvation. And that means that no matter what condition you find yourself in when you come into this church, whether you're a victim of some sort of abuse or you are a victim of some sort of crime or whether in some way you have been raised in a difficult environment and uh, it's caused you to have wounds and things that make you behave in ways that you don't particularly feel good about, it doesn't matter. This is a place of healing. This is, this is a spiritual well-being institution. This is a place where we honor and worship God, but we also seek to be healthier in our own spiritual lives. And therefore, there's no one who comes through these doors that doesn't need the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to make them a better person and a more dedicated servant of Christ. And the fact that some would like for the Bible to be rewritten so that it accommodates our tastes and our particular desires is unfortunate. But let's just keep in mind that that doesn't just extend to homosexuality. It's really about a lot of other things, too. And if you really want to know what I think, I think that the main issue in the United Methodist Church right now is whether we accept the Bible as God's word of authority for people or we don't. I happen to be somebody who puts the Bible above all. John Wesley, the founder of the United Methodist Church, said we're a people of a book, and that book is the Bible. I'm with Wesley. Let's pray. Well, God, I did it. I took a stand. I said something public, and now I've got to live with the consequences, and I pray that you will 
reign supreme, that your love and grace will be the most evident in all of us. I pray, Lord, that truth prevails. And the only way truth can prevail is by the power of your Holy Spirit. So rain it down on us, Lord, like never before. And do so so that you could be glorified. So that your people can truly be your hands, your feet, your voice. Let us be people of love and grace. Who, because of the justification given through Jesus, live a sanctified life. And our sanctification is... Ours alone help us not to be so severe in our judgment of others that we fail to live your love. Nevertheless, Lord, where you ask us to stand firm and affirm your word, give us the courage to do so for your name's sake, we pray. Amen. Amen.